The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you have your Bibles or your apps, would you open them and turn them on to Acts, the second chapter. Acts chapter 2 is where we find ourselves this morning. We continue our study through uh, Acts Unfinished as the title of our entire series. And this morning we look at a message I've entitled Spiritual Pediatrics. Uh, just a couple of quick things. First of all, uh, a, most of you in here, when Kristen was before us, uh, we recognize Manila is not in Indonesia, the map behind us, nor, as it says in here, but is in the Philippines, so you can do that. Secondly, Kristen uh, is from Baton Rouge, uh, home of the LSU Tigers. But uh, more importantly, she's been living with us the last four years, three years, three-plus three, three plus years. She came to go to UMHB to uh, be around us. And so uh, when we had kids, we had two kids. Right now we have Kristen, my mom, and my dad. That's five people. We're trying to get rid of her and launch her. So be generous to get her out of her house real soon. Okay? Uh, just make out your checks, TBC, memo Kristen, and we'll make sure all of those funds go to her. It's been a delight to watch her grow in the Savior over these years and launch her now to future ministry. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Let's do something a little differently. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? So then, this is verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place of the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continually with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, as we look at this uh, seminal passage on the foundation of the church on how to grow spiritually, Lord, I pray that we might not just be those who see the word and look into the mirror and walk away from it without applying it, but you would help us to be those who are doers of the word. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. In three plus years, th- three, three decades of ministry, no one has ever come to me and said, Pastor Gary, I'm growing too much. I'm growing too quickly. Would you help me slow down? Not one person has done that. In, in the 30-plus years of ministry we've been here, not one person has said, I'm spiritually maturing. Can you help me become immature once again? It doesn't happen that way. But many, many times I've had the opposite request. Many times I've had folks that, that I've met with say, Pastor Gary, I'm not growing. I'm stagnated. I'm plateaued in the spiritual life. Can you help me? Pastor Gary, I've known Christ for decades, but I still feel like a spiritual infant. Why is that? How can we listen to hundreds of sermons and even attend Bible studies and be involved in various things in the spiritual life, but seemingly not mature spiritually? Someone said this, you're young once, but you can stay immature indefinitely. That's true in the physical life, and it's true in the spiritual life as well. You're young once, but you can stay immature spiritually. You can stay immature spiritually forever. It was a problem in the first century church. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere 
infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and crawling among you, are you not worldly, or are you not acting like mere humans? He said, the problem you have, you're still babies. You are mere infants in Christ. Later on, the author of Hebrews, writing to the church that was scattered, would say this, in fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You still need milk. You cannot take in solid food. And so it was a problem in the first century church. We had people who were growing older, but they were not maturing spiritually. They were still infants. They were, they were 20 and 30 years old, chronologically speaking, in Christ, but they were still taking pacifiers and had bottles stuck in their mouth. He said, even though you've grown older, you haven't grown up. Even though you have grown older, you haven't matured spiritually. Many of us could raise our hand and say, Gary, that's my story. I came to know Christ, but for many years I never began to mature. I never had a hunger for the Word, never had a passion to grow. But by God's grace, things have changed. Some of you might raise your hand and say, Gary, I'm still the infant. I'm still the person who needs to grow. I'm still the person who needs to be changed. I'm the person who needs to mature. I'm the guy who's known Christ for 20 years old, but I still walk around in my letterman's jacket. You know what I'm talking about? You go back to 20-year high school reunion, there's always one dude there wearing his letterman's jacket. He's reliving his senior year in high school 20 different times. It's Groundhog's year over and over and over again. Happens in the spiritual life as well. Well, here's the challenge. If you look at Acts 2.41, it says 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 3,000 people were saved. So in that morning, when they got up that morning, there were about 120 believers. Now there are 3,120 or 3,000 plus believers. You've got 3,000 infants walking the streets of Jerusalem. 3,000 babies. I mean, it's a huge nursery. I'm not talking about the nursery at TBC. We've had over 50 babies born again this year. Well... Not born again like saved, but, but <laughs> didn't come out right. We, we had over 50 babies born this, this past year, just as we have had for about the last 20 years. You guys are prolific, and that's what's happening in the streets of Jerusalem. You have all these people who are brand new infants, and you have the privilege, the challenge, the responsibility to do something about it. What are you going to do? How are you going to equip them? How are you going to nourish them? How, how are you going to care for them? What kind of foundation are you going to build? You have the privilege now of, 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 that's what the apostles had, the privilege of beginning fresh, the privilege of beginning new, and now they have the responsibility and the privilege to help all these babies mature. That's the scenario of Acts chapter 2. That's why we call it spiritual pediatrics. They have all these babies, and now they have the privilege to help them grow. You see, spiritual growth takes place over a lifetime. I love the story of a guy, who was sitting, an older man who was sitting on the front porch of his uh, house in a rocking chair, and obvious tourists to the village came walking through, and the tourists looked at him and said, any great men born in this village? And the old man looked at him and said, nope, just babies, just babies. <laughs> See, no great men are born. You've got to grow up. And that's what we're talking about today in Acts chapter 2. How do you care? How do you nourish? How do you equip a newborn? How do you help them grow? And for many of you, it may be an application in your life. How do I grow? How do I mature spiritually? How do I move on and have depth in the spiritual life? Well, God provided three things for him. The explosion of the church in verse 41 is obvious. 3,000 people are born that day. 3,000 people are saved that day. So the church has exploded. 
And we find spiritual provision, physical provision, and divine provision for them. Once again, I've given you the outline. You can fill it in, and now you can listen. Okay? God gives them spiritual provision, then physical provision, and then he gives them divine provision. First of all, we see spiritual provision. We see that the apostles gather together, and their first priority, their first priority, and this is important, the first priority is to make sure that they're growing spiritually. I get that from verse 42. They continually devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, number one. Fellowship, number two. The breaking of bread, number three. And to prayer, number four. And so we see that as they had all these newborns, the first thing to note, they continually devoted themselves, continually devoted. The word there means persistently, over and over and over. In fact, if you drop down to verse 46, they did it day by day. This was not an occasional thing. This was not a haphazard thing. This is every day they gathered together so that they might grow up in Christ. They gathered together so they might grow up in Christ, continually devoting themselves, persistence. Their mind is fixed on it. Their hearts are fixed on it. They, get, they, they meet together. They provide for one another. They are continually devoting themselves. What does it mean to devote yourself to something? What does it mean? Some of you guys are devoted right now to hunting season. Anybody got a husband that way right now? That's all he can think about. I mean, it's on his mind. He wants to go to academy every day. He wants to go to the deer lease all the time. It's on his mind. It's what he's thinking about. Uh, and, and, and it's really, How many of you have hobbies you are devoted to? Some hobby you're devoted to. Let me see your hand. It may be working out. It may be some kind of game. None of y'all. I'm the only one. <laughs> what do you guys do with your lives? I, I mean, you devote yourself. It means that you think about it. You, you, you do it, you practice. If, you're, if your hobby is golf, you're out there practicing, you're out there hitting balls, you're out there trying to get better. I've watched some of you, you haven't gotten better, give it up. <laughs> but whatever it is, whatever it is, you devote yourself to it. They are devoted to spiritual growth right now. They're devoted to it. Remember, they're gathering, they've gathered together in Jerusalem for Pentecost, so they're not, there are a lot of people not in their homes, and that's significant in this passage. But they devoted themselves continually. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. So the first question is, what were the apostles teaching? I mean, if they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the question, bam, 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 what are the apostles teaching? Well, it's pretty clear. Peter teaches three times in Acts 2, 3, and 4. And his message is the same. Turn back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you look at verse 23. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross with, by the, was nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and was put to death, and God raised him up, putting it into the agony of death. And so Peter was preaching that Christ was crucified and that he rose. Well, Peter kept preaching. And if you turn to chapter 3, verse 13, it says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Father, has glorified his servant, Jesus, the one you delivered up, then disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. You disowned him, verse 15, you put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. Do you see any similarity in the message in Acts chapter 2 and the message in Acts chapter 3? You killed him, but God raised him up. Christ was crucified, but now he is alive. And then if you go to Acts chapter 4, it's the same message. He says, we declare to you Jesus, the one who was crucified, the one who is now alive. In verse 10, let it be known to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, that God raised him from the dead. By this name, stands, we stand here in good health. He is the one 
who gives. There's no salvation, verse 12, in any other name except his. The message they were preaching is called the gospel. Gospel means good news, and the good news, Jesus came, he died, you killed him, he died, God raised him from the dead, and you can have salvation in his name. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, when it says the apostles' teaching, that's what they're teaching over and over. They were also teaching that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. We saw that last week. They went back and quoted Joel. Peter did. Why would you go back to the Old Testament and quote prophecy to a church or people gathered together in Jerusalem? Why would you do that? Why would you show that Jesus is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy? Because who's he preaching to? Jews. Jews believed in the Old Testament. And so if you wanted to show them that Jesus is indeed the King and the Messiah, which we saw last week, then you go to the Old Testament to prove to them that he is a fulfillment from everything we talked about. And so Peter's message is Christ is indeed the King. He's the Messiah. If you look at verse 20, uh, verse, I'm sorry, uh, the end of last week, which was verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ, that is, the one who is sovereign over all, and the Christos, the Messiah, that he is both of these. And Peter proved that by quoting Old Testament fulfilled prophecy and said, He is who he proclaimed to be. He is the Lord. The apostles' teaching. There it is. It's a simple message. Jesus came, you killed him. God raised him up. You can escape the agony of death and have eternal life in him. That's the gospel message. That's the proclamation of the gospel. They were teaching that which they had seen, that which they experienced, that which they knew. Today we teach. We have the written word now. The written word points us to the living word. The written word is that which transforms our heart. The written word is that which we invest in. The people that I have seen who have grown the most to be Christ-like are people who have invested in the word of God. How does that happen? Scriptures tell us. All Scripture is theos pneumatos. Theos, God, pneumatos, we get the word pneumonia, God, breathe. It's the breath of God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so the word of God is that which can transform the life of men, make you adequate for everything. The word of God is alive, active, sharper than any dual, double-edged sword, penetrates, divides the soul, the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the attitudes and thoughts of the heart. The word of God is alive and active. Finally, the word of God. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to what? The word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. In the King James it says, Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Why are we so adamant about being in the Word? Because when we come through the Spirit of God to the Word of God, we have the author of the Word, the Holy Spirit in us, who allows us to see the Word, guides us into the truth of the Word, illuminates the Word, and our lives can be transformed by that Word. Billy Graham once said, the Bible is the most bought and least read book in the world. I count it on my shelf. I've got 22 Bibles. I've got an iPhone, I've got an iPad, I've got a computer, and I've got a laptop, desktop and a laptop. They all have Bibles. I've got access to the Bible. I've got a Logos software program that has more stuff about the Bible than I can read in the rest of my life. Literally, if I lived 40 more years, I couldn't read it all. The Bible is the most book, least read book in the history of the world. Are you passionate about the Word? Are you? 
As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts after you, O God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Are you hungry for the word? Do you thirst after the word? Do you long for the word? Table in the hallway, pick up a daily bread, a closer walk, a daily walk will help you get in the word. Are you passionate about the word of God? About three years ago, I showed you a short video about people who are passionate about the word of God. They were passionate because they never had the word in their own language. Finally, it came. I'm going to replay a condensed version of that video. Terry, can you cue that up for us? Do a sound back there? Watch this. for the Word of God. 22 Bibles in my office. They're weeping, weeping because they've got the Word. 
passionate about the Word? Do you open it? Is your life being transformed by it? Or you just sit on the shelf and pick it up Sunday after Sunday? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Word. Secondly, to fellowship. It says here the word fellowship means it's koinonia. It's a word we've all heard about before. It means to have things in common. To have things in common. You see, if you're just taught the Word and don't respond to the Word and in part of a community, you're going to struggle. You'll be like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has input but no output. And so if all you have is input and no output, you become dead. You become spiritually hardened. You become spiritually dead. If you're not part of a community of believers where you can share, where you can, you can bless one another, you can share one another's burdens and be blessed by that. It was John Wesley who said, there's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. At TBC, we've developed some core values. It's our desire for you to personally surrender your life to Christ and every day to surrender to him. Secondly, be part of a community of believers, a smaller community of believers. With the number of folks we have on a Sunday morning here, we pray that you'll find a place where you can grow in fellowship and community with other people your, your lives. We call, it, we call it doing life together, that you can do life together. Your kids can grow up together. You can grow together, and, and, and your life will be changed, and, and you'll live in community with one another. Spiritual life is not to be lived in isolation. Some of you are blackjack Christians. You know what the game of blackjack is? How many of you know what the game of blackjack is? Don't act like I'm the only one. In the game of blackjack, it's you and the dealer. It's you and the dealer. Nobody else matters. And many of you live the spiritual life that way. It's you and God. I've got him. That's all I need. That is unbiblical. The scriptures teach us that we need one another. The scriptures teach us that we are to be involved in the lives of one another, that we are to live in harmony and community, not in relational isolation, but in community, to love one another, care for one another. My prayer for TBC is that this will happen. My prayer for each of you, you're missing a great blessing if you've not found a smaller group to be a part of. If you can't find a group, start a group. I had the great privilege of uh, being with a friend, going back and forth to MD Anderson one day, and we didn't know one of that well. And I said, well, tell me about your life. And he said, well, one of the exciting things that's happened is I get some guys that work for me, and I, I just started a Bible study with those guys. I mean, you can do that wherever you are. You can do it in your neighborhood. You can do it with friends. You're, you're an empty nester. Find some other empty nesters. You're, you're, you know, left-handed from the East Coast and born on a full moon. Find other people like you. I don't know what it is. Let me tell you one of my fears at TBC. One of my fears is we have people who know all about discipleship, but they don't experience it. They've got PhDs in the theory of discipleship. They've been trained, they've been equipped, they've been given everything that they need, but they do nothing with it. And if that's the case in your life, you'll become judgmental, critical, and spiritually depressed. Because the word of God was placed in your heart not for you to hold it to yourself. You are not a reservoir. You're a conduit to give it to others. So if you're a dude here or a gal here and you've been spiritually trained and equipped, I challenge you from the word of God to go find some folks to minister alongside to, to be in community with. And and if you you need help with that, we had sheets in the hallway. They're gone, but uh, we had sheets. We have numerous small groups that meet weekly. We have groups for men, groups for women, groups for singles, groups for college students, groups for widows. You find a group. 
you find somebody to do life with together so you can have the blessing of experiencing that. The scriptures say, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. I have to have other men and other couples in Bev and I's life and in my life so that I can grow spiritually. One of the great privileges is sharing life with other folks. Community of believers. I pray, I pray that'll be the case. And let me encourage those of you who are like I am. Baby boomers, let me talk to you for a second. You were born in 1948 to 64. Let me see your hands. Wow, bunch of us. I don't know about you. I don't want to slide across the finish line. I want to sprint across the finish line. And I'm finding as I get older and as my peers get older, two things are happening. Many of my peers, like I am, are invited to serve on boards in different places. It's a good thing. But let me tell you why you're invited to serve on a board, either because of wisdom or wealth, one or the other. Either you've got money and they need money and they recognize it and so they invite you to serve, or because you have wisdom, you've got life experience and they see it and they invite you to serve. Those are good things. But if all you do is serve on boards, you miss contact with people. And and all you do is make decisions for other people. And it's a good thing. I want people in our body serving in our community and doing that stuff. But if you're not involved in the lives of people, you're missing a blessing. You're missing a blessing. Guys meeting with guys, gals with gals, couples with couples. Second thing I find out as we get older, many of you nail, many of you nail, you're sliding through the finish line. You don't have time for other people. You're like I am chasing grandkids or maybe you bought a second home somewhere so you've got to go there all the time or maybe you're involved in some hobby that you've taken on and so your life is so crowded or or maybe you've become so lazy and maybe you've become so relationally disconnected that you have nobody to do life with. What a tragedy. I do funerals all the time. Sometimes a dude has a hard time finding six people to carry his casket out. What a tragedy. And we live in relational isolation. One of the greatest joys you can have is being in community with other believers. I need to move on. Thirdly, they broke bread house to house. Breaking bread house to house. If you look in verse 42, it says that. If you look at verse 46, it says it once again. Breaking bread, I think, is the Lord's table celebrating communion together. But I think it's greater than that. They were doing it in house to house. And as they were involved in others' life, I think it's a greater picture of hospitality. First of all, it is, it is the Lord's table. And sadly enough, the Lord's table has become a source of division rather than a source of unity in many places. How often do we take it? Who can serve it? Et cetera, et cetera. Remember, the Lord's table is a celebration of Jesus. Don't become legalistic about it. I've had folks show up and say, well, I can't go to Temple Bible Church. I don't take communion every day, uh, every week. Well, if you look at Acts 2, they took it every day. And so you need to go find a place that does it every day. But that doesn't happen unless you go to a place where it's, well, it's a whole other story, but... Don't become a legalist. Celebrate Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about him being crucified, him being buried, him being resurrected, salvation in no other name. And it's also about hospitality. Day by day, they went to the temple, but they also went to houses. They went to the temple. I wish I had time to talk about what that had to look like. What was it like for them to go to the temple and to worship together? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it was like in the temple? you imagine what the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the priests were saying? I mean, they're in the temple. They're outside the temple worshiping, right where they've been persecuted weeks before. But now they they, they open their house up. Simple question. When's the last time you opened your house up to anybody? When's the last time? 
Most of us, you know, in America, we used to have a front porch. We used to have a living room in the front of the house. And uh, we, we used to have sit on the porch, talk to folks, or look out the window and see folks in our neighborhood. Now, in new homes, there are no porches. Living rooms are in the back. You drive through the gate, which used to be a moat, but now it's a gate. You hit the garage door button so you can drive in. You hit the garage door button so you have to talk to your neighbor or see your neighbor, and you go into your castle. You close the door, and you enjoy your isolation. What a tragedy. Anyway, we can go on forever about that. And we'll talk about praying. Uh, it says they also devote, continually devoted themselves to prayer. We have prayer night coming up Sunday night, November 2nd. Join us for that. They continually devoted themselves to prayer. Secondly, there was physical provision. They provided for one another. If you look at verse 43, it says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place. If you look in the scriptures, there are three times when there's an explosion of signs and wonders. Three times. First of all, through Moses. Secondly, through Elijah and Elisha. Thirdly, through through Jesus in the first century church. Why? You ever think about that? Why? Well, basically, the purpose of miracles is to authenticate the message and the messenger. You've got Moses going to Pharaoh. You've got Elijah and Elisha surrounded by unbelieving nations. You you have the first century church, that which is brand new, and who's going to believe this story? Well, God comes along, and Jesus does signs to authenticate who he is. And then what we see is the apostles doing the same thing, the miraculous, (coughs) to authenticate, excuse me, (coughs) who they are. And, And all of a sudden, you see all this being done so God might be magnified. Gary, do signs and wonders take place now? Listen to last week's sermon. We said, yes, indeed, God still does the miraculous. He does the miraculous. That's his business. That's what it's about. If you were with us last Sunday, we had people stand all over the auditorium. There were a lot of tears in this auditorium last week when we saw God doing the miraculous. We saw literally dozens and dozens of folks stand up whose marriages had been healed, addictions had been gone away, issues with guilt and shame and depression gone away, and we saw the most amazing miracle, salvation taking place, literally dozens of people standing up last Sunday to show that indeed the Spirit of God still does the miraculous. They provided for one another. They sold their possessions. They provided for one another. Did that happen all the time? No. They scattered. In Acts chapter 7, they scattered. They, continue, they didn't continue to worship every day. They, they had to go provide for their families and be with their families. But for a short period of time, this is what happened. And so one of the questions you have to ask when you read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? Now, what do you mean by that, Gary? Is this descriptive of what was happening at that time or is this prescriptive of the way we should be living our lives all the time? Should we all be living communally Selling our stuff to provide for one another. Well, I think this is more descriptive. It's descriptive what happened because we know that these people were scattered. We know they didn't continue to live this way. They didn't all stay in Jerusalem. They they went back to different places and the church didn't meet every day. It says in 1 Corinthians they met the first day of the week. And so what we see is a description of what was happening in Acts chapter 2. Now, with that said, let me also say the scriptures are very clear about us providing for one another. Scriptures tell us in James 2, if you see a brother who's in need, you don't see be warm, be filled, be gone, but you reach out and minister to that brother. And so while I don't think the Scriptures call us to live communally, some of you, quite frankly, wouldn't want to live with me, and I'm not sure I would, well, can't say that, I'm a pastor. (laughs) But you understand what we're saying. 
I mean, this doesn't call for all of us to quit our jobs, sell everything we have, and live in a commune. Does God call some people to do it? He does. Some people do that. And I say, to God be the glory in your lives. I'm not here to judge them. I'm saying, that's what God's called you to do. You do it to the glory of God. But for the majority of us, this isn't the way we're going to live. It's not the way the first century church functioned. It did for a short season, but not a full season. This is descriptive, not prescriptive of the way that we should live life all the time. But I can tell you this, the application is very clear. You live your life generously when you see brothers and sisters in need. They sold stuff. Uh, Here's an amazing story. Two Sundays ago, I'm walking out after this hour. One of our older widows walks up to me and she says, you know, I don't have a a whole bunch of this world's good to give to TBC on a regular basis, but... I've got this ring, and I don't wear it anymore. I had it appraised recently. Can you take it and sell it and give the money to TBC? There it is right there. Can you imagine that? One of our widows with very little says, I can't give, but I want to give. And I looked at her and said, ma'am, I can't possibly do that. I can't take that. No, Gary, I've been doing business with the Lord. This is what I desire to do. Would you please take it and do it? You talk about humbling. I'm in tears walking to my office thinking, wow, would I do that? Would I sell anything to give to someone else? Am I generous? Some of you make $300,000 a year and give 100 bucks a month to the glory of God. <laughs> really? I'm so glad I don't see what you give. Never have, never will. You feast at the king's table week after week after week. And you're not generous. You'll do business with him, not me. The flip side, some of you are so generous. Stephen and Julia, one Sunday either 30% more, the need is met. That's the history of TBC. It's a history of generosity. Let me challenge you to do this. Let me challenge you to sit with your husband or wife and talk about your giving this week. Just talk about it. Pray about it. And I say that TBC is well provided for. We have, I mean, God's provided for. We're getting ready. We're going to introduce to you a new building we're proposing uh, the end of this month, the last Sunday, I'll be up here sharing that with you. W- without saying a word, excess funding and your gifts to the building fund, we have three-fifths in hand right now. So I'm speaking because you need the opportunity to be generous to show your worship for the living God. That's what they did. There were needs, they were met. That's what believers do. Finally, God gave them divine provision. If you look at verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. How'd they grow? Fancy buildings, big programs, contemporary music, hymns. How'd they grow? The Lord, underline it, added to their number. The Lord was doing it. I can tell you in the history that I've been here 33 years, we've never sat in one meeting 
Not one time in 33 years where he said, how can we get more people? Not one time. But many, many, many times we sat there and said, how can we shepherd the people that God's given us? How can we do better at ministering to our people? How can we do better loving our people, caring for our people, spiritually providing for our people, physically providing for our people? And when you do that, the Lord adds to your number. You see, when the body of Christ looks like the bride of Christ, the unbelieving world will take notice. TBC, we're to be a missional community exalting a Savior together. That's what it to be about. We're to be a missional community exalting a Savior together. Honestly, Acts 2, 41 to 48, we could study this passage for the next several months. Just right here. We could talk about those four aspects of spiritual growth. We, we could spend months talking about what it means that they were in the temple, temple theology. We, we could spend months talking about evangelism. But here's the reality. We need to be those who do the word. A missional community exalting the Savior together. Father, I pray that that will be the story of TBC. That we will live on mission. We'll do it together. And most importantly, on that journey, we'll exalt Jesus. That he'll receive the honor. He'll receive the glory. Father, some of us have been trained, we've been equipped, and we're doing nothing with it. We confess that sin. The sin of slothfulness. The sin of judgmentalism. The sin of isolation. Others of us are not passionate about the word. Father, forgive us. Give us a hunger for the word of God. Some of us, prayer is just a cursory activity of blessing food and blessing days. We confess that. Others of us neglect being hospitable. We confess that. We pray you'll change our lives. Others of us are not generous. Not generous. We may make much or we may make little, but we're not generous with what we have. We confess that. Most of all, we confess Jesus as our Savior. We exalt him together. In his name, amen.